we live in a society which, as far as the Christ, uh, as, uh, Christianity, as far as its um, institution, as far as our institutions are concerned, uh, is uh, increasingly disappearing fast. Um, and I think that, uh, in many ways, we would say that our society uh, merely has Christianity in an institutional sense. Uh, as a sort of shell, which has been emptied of any real meaning very often, and emptied of any real force. And it's likely um, that Christianity, in this once Christian society, is likely to disappear even further under the influence of secularism. And what I really try to uh, look at this afternoon is, in relation to the law, and in relation to the state, what do we try and preserve? What do we try and preserve uh, in our once Christianized society, in our once Christianized law, in our once Christianized state. Uh, particularly, I think this is relevant because I think that uh, with the coming of 1992, uh, it's likely that those things which are distinctively reformational about our British culture are likely to be diluted even further. So that will provide an, an opportunity um, to... Uh, dilute these things rather further. So that's uh, why I want to, to look at this issue. Uh, what do we want to uh, try and preserve, which is distinctively Christian in our culture in relation particularly to the law and the state? I'm also interested in it because I'm uh, involved in the work of care. I'm uh, the constituency organiser for East Hampshire, and so one's always campaigning. Um, I think most people are familiar with the work of care here, are they? Christian Action Research and Education. You know, we're fighting against the Abortion Act and fighting against the Obscene Publications Act. Um, and so you're thinking to yourself, well, what kind of law would we try and replace these laws with? How could we try and reform them? Uh, what sort of, uh, how far can we try and Christianize um, legislation in that particular area, just um, as one example? Now, in uh, relation to this whole uh, area of discussion, uh, the Christian response has been different. We've got those people who sort of more or less go with the flow, and uh, perhaps one described as liberal Christianity, which accommodates itself to the culture uh, and uh, just um, makes no, no sort of protest. There are those who... Uh, feel that in, as far as the state is concerned, as far as the law is concerned, they want to have absolutely nothing to do with it. So at Labrie we had some students with a Mennonite background who would describe some of their relatives, not themselves so much, who would refuse even to be policemen because they wouldn't want in any way to have anything to do with the state. The state was wholly bad, wholly wrong, wholly corrupt, wholly of this world. We will have nothing to do with it. There are then those who want to get in actively involved in changing uh, the law and trying to, in some senses, make it reflect Christian principles, but they don't want to have anything really to do with um, Christianizing the state. I think that would be true of a lot of people in America who are prepared to um, try and get laws which um, reflect Christian standards, but they don't in any way want to Christianize the state. They want to, in some senses, maintain uh, the state as being neutral. They want to maintain what they call the separation of church and state. Then going in, a, in another direction, uh, you've got those who in some sense who want just to sort of get back to the way things were in the past, a sort of the traditionalists uh, who want to preserve 
uh, the kind of culture that we had in the past, and uh, perhaps in a somewhat un indiscriminating, uh, undiscriminating way. Then you've got those who wish to try totally sort of transform the culture, um, the people who one might describe as the Reconstructionists, um, the whole people coming out of the sort of theonomy movement, the Dominion theology movement. So that's the sort of range of responses that you've got amongst Christians um, in relation to the law, in relation to the state. A huge range of responses. And I have to also mention that those aren't the only sort of players in the action, apart from the secular people and what they're trying to do in terms of secularizing the state and secularizing law even further. There are those who have a completely different agenda, like the Muslims. And that's something that has to be taken into account. Um, now, I want to look at this whole issue in uh, sort of under three main headings. I want to look at uh, first uh, what, are the, what is the role of the church and what is the role of the state? That's the first thing. What is the role of the church and what is the role of the state? And then, secondly, I want to look at what is the relationship. What is the responsibility the Christian has towards the law? How far should the Christian try and Christianize the law? And then thirdly, I want to try and look at how far should the Christian, uh, the Christian try and Christianize the state? And I'll make the distinction between the law and the state clear as we come to it. Um, and uh, so those are the sort of three main, main headings. Now I want to argue as far as the roles of church and state are concerned, that since the New Testament times, the church and state do have different spheres and functions, which can be clearly inferred from the Bible. I want to say that the state deals with citizens, deals with citizens, and deals with, if you like, national boundaries, deals with peoples, and all the people within that boundary, however it's defined, whether it's defined by a tribe, or whether it's defined by a people, or a nation, or an empire, or however, it's dealing with all the citizens within that boundary. Whilst the church is dealing with all believers, with all believers uh, on a totally international basis with no boundaries. I want to say then that the state is concerned with crime, primarily. The state is concerned with the dealing of, uh, with, with, with restraining crime, that it's its main uh, function. Uh, whilst the church is concerned with sin. I want then to say that the state uses, for the control of crime, law. It uses the sword in the interests of the community. It uses, in other words, the system of criminal justice uh, and the police, etc., to control uh, crime whilst the church uses the gospel, tries to change people's hearts, and uses church discipline as a sort of moral pressure. In other words, it uses persuasion rather than force. So those are the sort of general distinctions between the church and the state. And it seems to me in this context, the Christian is both a church member, a member of the church, and also a citizen. And he has different sets of responsibilities whilst he's part of the Christian community, uh, and he has a, uh, a different set of responsibilities as he, uh, when he's part of the political community. 
And we can go into uh, perhaps how we arrive at these distinctions, but I just say very simply that uh, it seems to me that we get this summed up when Jesus talks about rendering to Caesar to things that are Caesar and to gods to things that are gods. In other words, there are two different spheres for the church and for the state, and two different sets of responsibilities that we as Christians have as members of the church and as citizens. So those are the roles, I think, that we should try and keep in mind that the church is supposed to have for all believers against sin with the gospel uh, and church discipline, as opposed to the state, which is for all citizens within a certain area, dealing with crime, using the law, using force. Now, in terms of the Christian's attitude then as a citizen to the law, um, what is our responsibility as Christian citizens? It seems to me as Christian citizens we do have a responsibility to try and influence the law in the direction of Christian values, to reflect Christian truths and Christian values. And these are the reasons why I think we need to do this. First of all, because God is a God of everybody. He's a God of all, and his laws are for the benefit of all. And as Christian has a duty to promote God's uh, laws because they enable human beings to flourish. They enable human beings to be who they're intended to be. Uh, and as a Christian, he has a responsibility to be salt and light. And one way he can be salt and light and, and, and help society is to work for the kinds of laws <coughs> that will genuinely preserve society. So that's the first reason why I think that we should try and shape the laws uh, in a direction of Christian values and standards. The second reason, quite simply, is that if we don't shape the laws in a Christian direction, they're going to be shaped in another direction by other people. Just as simple as that. Uh, in directions which we're not going to want, in directions which are going to diminish uh, people's potential uh, to really flourish as human beings. And the third reason is that we need to have laws which reflect Christian standards is though that the law, though that law, that is the law of the land, is limited in making people good, it can restrain evil. The law can restrain evil. It can set standards for what is right. Law has a tremendous educational, if you like, uh, value and importance. I think we see this very clearly in, for example, the uh, whole issue of abortion. Um, you know, back before 1967, um, there were quite a lot of illegal abortions. The Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists reckon there are about 14,500 illegal abortions. In other words, people did have abortions despite the fact that there was a law against abortions. But, what, but generally speaking, before 1967, abortion was seen as being something really profoundly wrong. Uh, those doctors who carried out abortions were, being se were seen as people who had really betrayed their profession. Uh, especially those... <clears throat> that is, when you were carrying out the kind of ab abortions for the sorts of reasons that they're carried out today... Abortion was much more restricted. Abortion was seen as being something only as a sort of necessary evil for very extreme cases, or for very hard cases. But for, for, uh, for, for an abortion, for a doctor to carry out abortions just for some relatively trivial reason, that was regarded as being something really wrong, and it sort of discredited medicine, discredited the doctor. 
And those people who went to seek abortions, except in the quote-unquote hard cases, were seen as people who were uh, really betraying um, uh, themselves as people. And it was looked down on. And as a result, the vast majority of people who might have had a difficult pregnancy went ahead and had their children. Okay. Now, once you have a law which says, okay, abortion is all right, that completely changes people's perception and understanding of abortion. The same is true of homosexuality. You change, you legalize homosexuality, and somehow it's not just that sexuality becomes, homosexuality becomes decriminalized, it also becomes publicly acceptable. You then get the gay rights movement and the insistence that we have as much rights as anyone else do. Uh, so I think that you can see that law does help to restrain evil and set standards for society, though of course it doesn't by itself make people good. So those are the reasons why I want to have laws which reflect Christian values and why I think it's really worth Christians getting involved in politics and getting involved in the, in, in the law-making process. But I think there are certain limits there are certain limits as to how far one should try and push laws, and this is where we can have discussion uh, a little bit later, I'm sure we will, uh, how far we should try and push laws to uh, reflect Christian standards. How far can we go? Uh, and I want to say that there are, there are three, main, three main limits to our pushing laws in the direction of Christian standards. The first limit is the state itself is sinful. And if you give a great deal of power to the state, it will abuse that power. And therefore, for example, I wouldn't want to criminalize fornication because I think that it gives the state too much power over people's private lives. Now, I'm not by that saying that there is a huge distinction between the private and the public, because I recognize that what people do in private has a public effect. But it seems to me unwise to give the state a great deal of detailed control over people, what might be described as people's personal domain. Um, because I think it enables the state to become too authoritarian. And one has to remember that the state itself is likely to be sinful and is likely uh, to misuse its power if you extend that power too much. So I think that that would be the first limitation on uh, trying to Christianize the law, is to realize the sinfulness of the state. The second limitation is that one is dealing with not just Christians, but with all citizens. And all citizens... Uh, including Christians, but especially non-Christians, are going to be sinful. Uh, particularly non-Christians are going to be sinful. And it seems to me, therefore, that the law of the land will not and cannot be as high as the law of God. I don't think we can expect non-Christians to behave as well as Christians. And in an imperfect world, there will be... Uh, real practical limits on how far we can expect, uh, how, how, how well we can expect people uh, to behave. And that it would be foolish to insist 
from non-Christian citizens the same standards as we would insist on Christian citizens. Uh, now, thirdly, laws uh, must be restricted to how people behave and not to what they believe. Uh, and the behavior that people should be uh, expected uh, to have must be the kind of behavior which they can discern as being right through their conscience and must not just be the behavior which we assert to be right based on the Bible. In other words, it should be a behavior which is commonly understood to be right uh, rather than uh, relying purely on the authority of the Bible when we're dealing with a non-Christian. And fourthly, there will be some practical limits uh, on, uh, on extending the law to, uh, on, 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 on Christianizing the law. Um, so we have to, to realize that, um, that very often there will be uh, practical limits to how far we can make people good. Um, and I think I would also mention, and I, 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 I've only really just remembered this in a sense, is that fifthly, because it's, 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 it's the great mistake that Christians made back in the 1920s in, the, in, 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 um, in America, we must not make criminal those things which the Bible does not insist upon as being essential. And I think that was the disastrous um, <coughs> effect of the whole prohibition movement in the States. There were many good reasons for wanting to restrict uh, drinking in the States, but I think that the degree to which they went... I mean, in the sense that they insisted on prohibition, which the Bible does not insist on. The Bible does not say drinking is, uh, is evil. It says drunkenness is evil, very clearly. But it does not say taking of alcohol is evil. And the Christians in the States focused their energies. Schaefer, I've heard him say this, so they made a, a tremendous uh, mistake in focusing on all their energies, on insisting on a law which the Bible itself did not insist on. And they discredited, if you like, Christian political activity, discredited Christian political energies, um, and actually opened the door, of course, for um, a great deal of criminal activity. So I think that that would be another, um, <coughs> another limit. But within those limits, I think we really need to push for laws which really reflect uh, Christian values, human values. And um, uh, do so really energetically. Okay. Now moving on to this third, this third um, heading. Should this, should Christians go further than trying to influence each and every law as it's discussed in Parliament uh, or discussed in the legislature? Should we try and make the state, in some senses, Christian? Now, you may think the distinction between the law and the state is a bit fine, but I think the example of the states of, of the United States is, is, is interesting here. This, you get many Christians trying to get the laws to reflect Christian values and standards, but they still don't want to in any way try and uh, change um, the state. They don't want to try and Christianize the state. They want to maintain 
the separation of, of, of church and state. That's, that's slightly more complicated, but they, they, they don't particularly want to Christianize the state. Now, I want to try and argue that we should try and Christianize the state uh, so that its basic, basic authority and identity is Christian. But again, I want to do that within certain limits, in a similar kind of way as that one wants to limit what one does in relation to the law. But I do want to try and Christianize the state so its authority, so its authority and its identity is seen as being fundamentally Christian. Okay, now why do we... Why do I want to try and do that? First of all, because no state can be neutral. It must find something to legitimize its authority. As Jacques Ellul has said, in its origin, all law is religious. In its origin, all law is religious. And if the state does not have a final Christian legitimacy, it will find its legitimacy from something else. And therefore, we need to fight as Christians, whether we're a minority or a majority, uh, that the state should be finally Christian in its basic identity and authority. I think we must expose the, the whole myth of neutrality, that somehow or other the secular person says, we don't want you Christians imposing your standards on us because we're just going to be impartial. We must recognize that they're imposing our, their standards on everyone else. We must also recognize uh, that they do have standards, even though they claim to be impartial. We, almost we must also recognize that there are real limits to pluralism. That if you take pluralism too far, you just get fragmentation. If you really take pluralism far, uh, right to its logical conclusion, in the end, you get the breakup of society. Something has to hold society together, ultimately. Now, what will this mean in practice? What will this mean in practice if one is trying to have the basic authority and identity of the state as Christian? In practice, I think this means that the, the constitution of a state, the constitution of a state, must recognize, in other words, the fundamental law of the state its actual constitution, must recognize that its authority comes from God. That its authority ultimately comes from God. And I would argue that office holders, whether they believe in God or not, need to swear to uphold that. I'd also want to argue, now you see, I think that's absolutely uh, fundamental. It's, 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 it's very interesting that... Um, this country's law, in the end, is ultimately based um, on common law. And if you were to be a reader of Blackstone, you would understand that uh, Blackstone, in his commentaries, saw the common law really as just being the application of the law and God in particular, in, uh, particular cases. And that it was the basic assumption of that common law that it was based on the law of God. And I think that... Uh, uh, we need uh, to make sure that that is recognized. Now, it may be that we're going to have to, uh, as some people are arguing, we're going to have to sort of rewrite a new constitution for this country, that the constitution that we currently had isn't going to sort of uh, work for much longer. And you get various people asking that there should be a written constitution. Now, if that really 
is a movement that gathers any sort of momentum and force. It's going to be incredibly important that Christians get in there and do something about that and make sure uh, that uh, the, the once Christian basis for our constitution is, is, is actually maintained. I think then in the second area, in the practical implications of, uh, of uh, having the basic authority and identity of the state being Christian will be in the area of education. It seems to me in state education, it is absolutely vital that the state should recognize the importance of Christianity, that it should recognize, that it should, in, in a sense, seek to commend, and I use only the word commend Christianity to each generation, for each generation's serious consideration. Not that Christianity should be indoctrinated, not that it should be forced upon people, but that they should be asked, each generation should be asked to consider it, to recognize the part that it has played in our culture, in founding our culture, and in the, in the part that it has played in, uh, not only in the past, but also in the present, uh, in the sense of that's how it ought to be. And therefore, I'd be totally in favor of teaching uh, Christianity as uh, in religious education and Christianity as being the predominant part of religious education, regardless of the faith of the people who, um, who, who uh, attend the school. It seems to me a perfectly legitimate and proper and important part of the state's responsibility. If its identity as a Christian state ultimately is to be recognized, well, at least, yeah. Thirdly, I want special protection to be given for the practice of Christianity and for the access of Christianity to schools, to hospitals, to prisons, to the armed forces, to the media, to parliament. Uh, if uh, one's in a, we have American students at Libri, and it's amazing that in, uh, in many American schools, the staff and the pupils and the staff, even between themselves, let alone the staff and pupils, just aren't allowed to have a prayer meeting on school premises. I even doubt whether a meeting of this kind would be allowed on school premises. So rigidly do they ha uh, maintain, in many places, there is a separation of church and state. Um, it's just quite remarkable. Now, it depends on where you are. If you're in some southern rural area, <laughs> then you know, they're not going to. They're probably quite happy to um, to let you to have a, a, a Christian meeting on school premises. But if you're in any urban area, it will immediately be challenged that you shouldn't be doing this, that this is illegal, and you'll be sued. Um, and uh, it's, um, it seems to me that one has to give special protection, must be given to the practice of Christianity uh, in, if you like, all state institutions. Uh, and fourthly, I want to retain the blasphemy law and argue that that law should be retained, that is the, the law against uh, blasphemous libel against God, should be retained for Christianity exclusively, that that law should not be extended uh, to Islam or to other cultures on the grounds that that's to make a nonsense of the basic uh, Christian identity of the state. Now, it may be that you might have some sort of law which says that you will prevent incitement to religious hatred against Islam. That's a different matter. Um, but uh, that should be, it should be pretty clear that one can uh, be highly critical of, of other cultures and highly critical of Christianity. That should, be, that should be possible as well. But that there should be a basic respect 
for God and a basic uh, protection, or at least a, a basic acknowledgement of who God is, and that we need, therefore, to retain the blasphemy law. I'd want to argue for that. So those are the kinds of things uh, that I would want to argue for in order to ex- for, 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 the, for, the, for the state to be seen as having its final authority and identity uh, as being Christian. But I want to see. I want to say that I'd like to see some sort of limits. Um, I want to identify what these limits are in Christianizing the state, because I think in the past we've made some mistakes, and I think that we would be wrong to try and preserve some things which we had in the past, uh, and where we have made mistakes in the past. I think the first and fundamental mistake that has been made in the past, and this is what I would not want to do if I was trying to Christianizing the state, is I would not want to make. I would not want to have citizenship identified with Christian belief. Right throughout the Middle Ages and right throughout the Reformational period, in order to be a citizen, in order to be a member of Christendom, or to be a member of the realm, uh, you had to be a Christian. And not just a Christian. You, uh, I mean, it was uh, if you were a Jew or if you were an atheist, you know, that was uh, completely beyond the pale. But you didn't just have to be a Christian you had to be a particular kind of Christian. You couldn't be uh, a Catholic, of course, uh, until 1829, and you couldn't, be, you couldn't be a dissenter or nonconformist. You had to be a member of the, uh, the Church of England. And I think that kind of identifying of citizenship with Christianity is absolutely wrong. There has to be complete liberty of conscience. There has to be really complete liberty of conscience. And I'd want to argue that on the basis that it is not the part of the role of the state to, to, uh, to insist on Christian belief. It is the task of the church to persuade people of Christian belief and that basically God allows people to choose whether to, um, they're going to accept him or not and that that should be expressed in the way that uh, the state treats its citizens, that they should allow freedom and liberty of conscience, and that those people who are not Christians should not be treated in any way as second-class citizens. The second limit I'd like to, um, to, 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 to place on the state is this. I do not want the state to be involved in the promoting of worship does not seem to me that it's the business of the state, per se, to promote Christian worship. This is one of the tasks of the church. So, for example, I wouldn't be in favour of uh, the school assembly, as we currently have it, of Christian school assembly in schools. And this is maybe something we can get into in, dis- in discussing. I know that John Burns takes a very different view. And it would be helpful to hear your, uh, you know, folk who, who, who agree with him. Um, but it doesn't seem to me right, partly because in that kind of context where the state is insisting on worship, I think one comes very close to exposing people to blasphemy. In other words, if you ask non-Christians to carry out acts of Christian worship, one's really asking them to be involved in blasphemy, and I feel you know, strongly about that. Equally, I don't really want the state to subsidize the church, because or uh, uh, financially and economically, because it seems to me that one is going to compromise the church, one's going to undermine its vitality, and it seems to me that one has lessons to learn from the degree to which the church and state were identified in the past, with the church 
was compromised, where the church, as it were, forgot its Christian goals and, uh, and, and, and uh, became preoccupied with worldly goals. So I don't think that the state should promote worship. Thirdly, I see no reason, and again we can discuss this, for the state to have an established church. It seems to me that is not relevant and not particularly helpful and um, something which uh, should not mark out a Christian, Christianized state that there is an established church, a senior connection between the two. Um, and fourthly, I'd want to argue that all of this should be established democratically. I'd want to argue this not because I'm in some senses seeing democracy as a product of the Enlightenment, and suddenly, in talking about a Christianized state, I'm suddenly insisting on, a Christian, on, on an enlightened ideal of democracy. But I want to say that I think it's democracy is something which has arisen out of Christianity. It was because in the Reformation, people understood that everybody had a responsibility to God directly. That democracy became important because they had this view that each one of us is responsible to God, that therefore each one of us has to be consulted in the way in which we're governed, so that if your country goes off to war, it's a matter of each man's conscience as to whether that is right or not, and therefore each man and each woman must have a say in that, and must approve as to whether that is a right thing or not. That's the fundamental reason why the Reformation encouraged democracy, and of course, in the Reformation, in the, in the practice of many of the churches, not all of the churches, in the practice of many of the churches, the ministers were elected, and of course it became very soon a question of if we elect our ministers and elect those who look after our souls, then we must elect those who look after our purses, namely the politicians. And so you've got, in those countries which were Reformational countries, very often, because their churches were democratic in practice, that was then an influence and example to um, the citizens who then wanted to elect their um, who wanted to elect their um, their political masters, and it's quite an interesting contrast between those countries which were uh, were Catholic, which had a monarchical system of, of government in terms of the um, uh, the Roman Catholic system of government was monarchical. I'm talking about the the papacy and that great hierarchy that flows down from that, and of course that set no example for democracy at all. So I'd want to establish uh, all that I've been talking about democratically, not because of some sort of enlightenment belief of, in some sort of social contract that we all have a responsibility, but because to each other, fundamentally, but primarily because we all have a responsibility to God <coughs> and we respect people as people, uh, that we allow people to choose how they're governed and that we insist on that. So that would be the other final limit to establishing a Christian state, that it should be done democratically, it should be done um, uh, via persuasion. Now that raises a, a huge, huge discussion uh, because what happens if a state insists where the majority of people in the state insist on something which is very, very far removed from being Christian? Uh, do you absolutize the democratic element there or do you say we work for matters of justice? You know, in other words, do you make justice the most important thing, uh, righteousness the most important thing or do you make democracy the most important thing? Uh, uh, 
I mean, for, for, for example, in 1934, Hitler had a sort of democratic majority, roughly. Does that mean that the Christians then accept democracy and the will of the people in that situation, or do they fight against that? So those would be the limits that I would, that I would want to impose upon our trying to Christianize the state, that citizenship should not be identified as Christian belief, that the state should not promote worship, that there should be an established church, and we should try and do all this democratically. So in conclusion, I want to say that the Christian must operate as a member of, of, of the Christian church, but he must also operate as a Christian citizen. And as such, the laws that we have should reflect Christian values within certain limits, and the state we should have should, should be one which is fundamentally Christian in its authority and identity. Um, but again, within certain limits, particularly in terms of allowing people freedom of what they believe. Now, that's all I have to say, and that means we've got good, some time for discussion. Um, so, has anyone got some questions? I haven't gone, this, gone into this in a sort of huge, <coughs> profoundly, if you wanted a huge, profoundly sort of theological, philosophical way. I wanted to try and get this in a way that's sort of reasonably accessible for us. Any questions on it? Well, I agree with everything that you've said, uh, but... Well, that's very good. <laughs> yes, but... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's all anachronistic um, mm -hmm. in view of the date 1992, mm -hmm. uh, when we don't have states, sovereign states, any longer. We have a population of 320 million mm -hmm. Uh, governed by a bureaucracy which is not a democratic bureaucracy by any stretch of imagination mm -hmm. and never will be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that uh, the governing body uh, is uh, global financial manipulators and nothing to do with politics, therefore nothing to do with the state. Well, that's... Um it's, it's, it's certainly true that the system of accountability that one has, uh, either within a national state or within um, even going beyond the boundaries of a national state, because no state is as sovereign as it would like to think, uh, that system of accountability is less than perfect, and it always has been. It's always been that there have been uh, very powerful people and institutions and groups and interests in various societies. Uh, but that doesn't mean to say that we don't try and make it as accountable as possible. Uh, and I think we should try and make it as Christianly accountable as possible and be prepared to expose uh, the manipulation that does take place mm -hmm. and insist uh, as Christians and looking for other people who are prepared to agree with us as co-belligerents, in other words, working alongside other people who may not be Christians but who share our common concerns, that we should insist on uh, a degree of accountability. Yes, Brian. Um, I, I like the metaphor you used earlier on about talking about the word many players, <laughs> and you mentioned Islam. Now, do, do you see the, the goal, the biblical goal before us, one of um, not so much um, establishing our position amidst the many players and um, as far as possible seeking to ensure um, the biblical position, 
but the actual taking over of the whole game and dealing from a position of authority with the other players. Does, it, does, it, does it, the sense of distinction go come across from yeah. what I'm saying? I think what I'm trying to get across is that there's an awful lot of Christians who sort of accept in a sort of resigned kind of way that we're going to become a totally secular society and that it's sort of wrong of us to fight for sort of Christian laws and some sort of Christianized state. Uh, that somehow it's not, our, it's not our place, it's not our business, that we're in, it's improper for us to do that. And I want to say now that that isn't the case, that we have as much right and we have as much responsibility as anyone else, in fact rather more, because we're acting on, in a sense, God's behalf, um, to try and set up a state or involved <coughs> in preserving that which is already within our state, those things which are um, Christian, either in laws or in terms of the way that the Constitution is set up. And we do have a situation where we have um, we have a, a uh, we have some sort of recognition of Christianity within our basic Constitution still, in terms of the, the Queen being the governor of the Church. You know, in the uh, that Parliament has prayers every day that every local authority, just about many local authorities still do. That there is there is a place, an accepted place for Christianity in our society, uh, and that the law is basically um, still regarded as ultimately, ultimately, is is uh, is Christian. Now, I think that we need to try, and I'm not saying we want to preserve necessarily the Queen as the governor. I don't want to do that at all, actually. Uh, I don't even want to preserve the Queen, because I'm a Republican. But, <laughs> but I'd want to, if things are going to change, I'd want to ask myself, what am I really going to want to preserve, and what am I going to be prepared to lose as being, as it were, anachronistic, unhelpful old forms, and what is absolutely essential to maintain, you see? Uh, and maintain against other people who have got different agendas, whether they be secular people or, or whatever. Uh, because it seems to me that uh, as the Christian uh, element in our, in our society is, 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 is diluted more and more and more, there's going to come a time when people are going to say, we want to completely exclude Christianity. I and mean, we've seen this in the broadcasting bill, where they didn't want Christians to own radio stations and, and TV stations until Christians made a great big fuss about it. Um, you know, Christians are going to be totally marginalized. And I think we really have to fight against that. For the benefit of all people, not because it's as a sectional interest that we're sort of trying to maintain the past, uh, but we were really trying to maintain something which is for the good of all people, though within certain limits, and those are the limits that I've tried to identify. Could you can develop that yeah. a little You used the word maintain just then, and I think that there's a, that there's a distinction between trying to, as it were, hold our own that way, um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> maintain um, the, uh, the, the influence of Christianity on the state or in association with the state. Mm -hmm. And one is trying to, as it were, recover what has, uh, what has been lost in, in some way. Mm -hmm. And yet that, to my mind, is, is different from trying to develop this relationship in, in, in new, new areas, in, in, in places where it hasn't been uh, uh, seen before. 
And when I think about this, I, I have a sort of problem here because going to the other extreme of where does it talk about the the city without a church? Um, no need for the church, the, the place where Christians meet, because the whole city is under God's control. Mm-hmm. Now, if you take that as if you take that as a goal, then the way you work towards it, however little you might expect to be able to get within mm-hmm. our lifetimes, is is different from the situation in which what you're hoping for as, as your best is, is some sort of equilibrium. Um, there's always going to be the secular. Mm. Um, <clears throat> let's just try and make sure that there's some reasonable equilibrium between the secular and, and the Christian. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't quite know what the, <clears throat> what the answer is to this. And I'm interested in people's views on whether we should be seeing as our goal the, the ultimate of the city without a church or whether we opt a bit more pragmatic and as it were opt the second best and just go for some equilibrium well I would uh, in, in, in the context of um, you know uh, in the context of, of, of this life there's not going to be there's not just going to be uh, the perfection of a city without a church I sort of see that as being something which is in heaven uh, and in our fallen and limited world, um, we are going to always be uh, having to go for second best. But I'd want that second best to be um, a pretty good second best. And um, uh, I don't want to incidentally give the impression that somehow the way we preserve Christianity is just through sort of uh, Christianizing the law and Christianizing the state. Uh, I don't want in any way to diminish um, the role of the church in preaching the gospel and in uh, reclaiming society fundamentally that way. But I want to say that there is a role for uh, trying to Christianize the law and Christianize the state, that, that's, that, 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 that that is an important aspect of our um, proclaiming the gospel uh, and working for the gospel, that we have, as, in other words, as citizens, certain responsibilities for the sake of the gospel, which have to do with law and which have to do with um, the way the state operates. Um, my point is, what if we succeeded? What if we succeeded? Yeah. I did. What then? Uh, you know, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Everyone will want yeah. a Christian society. The question about the issue of polygamy was then raised. Uh, understood, uh, not because people accept the authority of the Bible, but there's a matter of, as it were, if you like, um, of conscience, or if you like, of human rights. And I want to argue that monogamy is more consistent with that, and with more consistent with human dignity, than polygamy. Now, I might have a big problem in doing that, and I'll give you a very good example, uh, not only over here, but for example, the missionaries back in Kenya in the 1920s, um, the Church of Scotland mission in Kenya um, made it a matter of church discipline that female circumcision um, was out, and that if you practice female circumcision, you'd be thrown out of the church. And they did this amongst the Kikuyu, for whom female circumcision was essential, which was a normal part of life. All right. 
Now, were they wrong to do that? Was the, were the missionaries wrong to do that? Now, my point is that I think they were right to do that, not just as Christians, but as a matter of sort of human rights. Now, the same way, I would argue against monog- uh, I would argue against polygamy. But it's not a question of whether it's right or wrong to legislate against polygamy. What I'm saying is that you can't legislate against it and say this is a, this is a Christian situation and say that you will allow the Muslims complete freedom of conscience. Because however much it may be absolutely obvious to you and me yeah. that mm-hmm. on a matter of human rights, etc., etc., mm-hmm. monogamy is always right... That is not obvious to the Muslims. Are you saying that basically it's impossible to make a distinction between beliefs and behavior at this point? You see, because really it seems to me that one can ban polygamy, yeah. because this yeah. is not just a matter I, of conscience of thought, restrain- this is a matter of practice. Yeah. And that what, what one is banning is, 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 is the practice of polygamy. I'm quite happy for them to argue yeah. for polygamy. But, but what I'm saying is that you can't restrict freedom of conscience to the private realm and to the realm of the mind. To some extent... People seem to think that you can if you're a Christian. But if you're a Muslim, you cannot, because the very nature of Islam involves you in what you do and in how you run your family life and, in, and how you run your state. Mm-hmm. Well, then I think that what I would be offering is a degree of freedom in the sense uh, which would not be as much as they would want, but far, would be far greater than they, they would be prepared to concede to a, Christ, a Christian in their society and then just have to challenge them to say, well, look, if you want to live in this society, um, these are the rules. Uh, and it's a much freer society than the one you're prepared to operate on. But you did talk about uh, officials of the state having to swear some sort of allegiance to upholding mm-hmm. the Christian nature of the state. Now, yeah. that would seem to rule out uh, Muslims and Hindus others actually having well, a full sort of I, member of the, the, the government and so on. Yes, I, I agree that, that um, there comes a limit to the kind of freedom that you can offer. And that if somebody, as it were, insists on having a religion which challenges everything about the kind of state that you're setting up, then you can't give them the same degree of citizenship uh, that you perhaps would like to. This is precisely why a lot of good Christian people yeah. left Britain and yeah. went to America and formed a secular state which separated church and state. Uh, uh, but though it separated church and state, what it did do was it didn't... Uh, what, it, what it fundamentally did was in the States was to say that there should be no denomination that should rule. It did not in any way exclude Christianity from being the shaping influence yes, on the culture. It recognized God in the Constitution. Yeah, know. but I mean, in, in, in a very real sense, there was no question um, that um, Christianity should be the shaping influence. So, for example... Uh, well after the um, well after the um, the constitution was set up, many of the American states were subsidizing were subsidizing uh, the Christian churches, uh, the actual states. Until I think it was the 1950s, you had to say in Maryland that you believed in God in order to be a state official. Uh, they didn't. They they so took it for granted that you were going to be Christian uh, that their understanding of what the separation of church and state meant just meant that you 
that we were going to have no particular church, no particular denomination ruling us. There was no sense of excluding Christianity from being the controlling influence on society. Um, but I, I agree in it, that you do, you extend as much freedom as you possibly can. And under the kind of scheme that I have outlined, I think that one who would be extending in a Christian society far more freedom than would be allowed under any other kind of worldview, religious or secular. Um, but you've still argued clearly to having second-class citizens. But you're talking about racial discrimination, not religious discrimination, aren't you? You're, you're thinking we're going to look at them and think they're from a different country. What we're actually doing is looking at them and thinking they're, from, they're practicing a different religion that is counter to our religion. So it's not that we can't allow them as much freedom in the government because they are black or yellow or so on, but because they belong to a different god. And if ours is a, a Christian government, then you, you can't allow other gods to creep in. But what I'm wanting to point yeah. out is that that's in fact what you're saying. You're saying that if there are people of another religion, then they are, if you like, second-class citizens. There are some things that they won't be able to do, like, for example, join the government if, um, because they obviously won't make an oath in the name of Christ or whatever. So what... The, I'm just the, asking them... To, I'm not asking uh, them to do an oath in the name of Christ. Mm. I'm just asking them to uphold the Christian constitution, which they can do whether they're Christians or not. I don't think that reduces them to be second-class citizens. Which reduce them in this country have done for generations. And uh, the whole point is that to get you off the hook in, it's simply to sojourners. Uh, uh, but they're not sojourners. They are. Uh, <laughs> we have to be biblical rather than rational. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you mean? Who's well, sojourners? Uh, the, uh, the Muslims. In what, our country? Yeah, they, they are to be treated as sojourners. No, uh, and I wouldn't agree according with According to the Bible, they have all the citizen rights. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, we are as, as, as uh, captive to uh, the laws of the land as Christians. Whether these laws be uh, uh, nominally Christian or, uh, or uh, so-called neutral. The point is, you see, that we are arguing for a Christian law upon the basis of justice, not on the basis of the name of Christ. We're actually arguing for Christian laws in the, in the name of justice and righteousness. And if you've got justice and righteousness, then everything else flows. Uh, and going back to my uh, common market kick, the point is, if you think of it, uh, we're into the single European Act by dint of uh, a steamrolling effort in the, in the wee small hours of the morning by a very, very modicum number of MPs. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it was not uh, any form of uh, devolution, any form of uh, democracy, uh, which consigned us uh, for the rest of our living days to an absolute hell. Well, uh, I just want to go back to this thing. Of, uh, I'm not quite sure what you mean by the sojourners thing, because I, I would see people of other cultures as just being equal citizens. Even though, even though I'm asking that there should be a, a Christian society or a Christian state, and I would want to extend absolute equality. Now, you say that it's impossible practically, because you say that their kind of culture doesn't make a distinction between what is believed and what is and how, how people behave. I say that may, yes, that may be a limitation, but I would still say that the kind of culture that we're going to, that I would want us as Christians to, to, to frame, would allow far greater freedom 
than their kind of culture would, and that they should recognize that and benefit from that, even though they may be imposing some certain limitations on themselves from, as a result of the kind of beliefs that they hold. Doesn't it hinge on what you said earlier about the fact that no state can, in fact, be neutral? And what we're being asked very often these days is to assume that the state can be neutral. Um, and what you said about the fact that there are real limits to pluralism, and we're being encouraged all the time to imagine some pluralistic state, which is an impossibility. I think that's the alternative, and it just it, it won't work. I mean, one is, in fact, allowing a pretty high degree of pluralism of belief uh, and even a fairly high degree of pluralism of practice, but you're recognizing there are going to be certain limits to that. Um, otherwise, if you don't have those limits, you're going to be having a society which has, a, uh, under the name of a secular society, a whole lot of other imposed ideals which are far removed from, uh, from what is Christian. That's right. I, mean, I, I really just want to want people to be clear that when we're talking about Muslims, mm -hmm. there are very severe limitations and there's going to be continuing conflict whichever... <laughs> I, would say that and I would say those limitations are fundamentally in the end self-imposed mm -hmm. by the Muslim culture in itself. Yes. Well, although they wouldn't think of it in that in those terms. Right. They're voluntarily given up the rights by coming on to these shores at all. Right. Anyone else? Uh, what, yeah. Why is it that, um, what is that advantage of having a Christianized state as against a, um, a democratic state where Christians can have their say, where they can campaign for what, mm -hmm. you know, what things they'd like to see in law? Yeah. Um, why can't we have um, mm -hmm. you know, Christian principles? Mm -hmm. being put into war, etc., mm -hmm. through that route rather mm -hmm. than through having a Christian... I think, I think because in the end, if you don't have a, a Christian constitution in which the final sort of identity and authority of the state is Christian, you've got nothing to appeal to when it comes to arguing for laws which might be Christian. Uh, you can appeal to truth, but I think you need to institutionalize truth, if you like, uh, in, the, in, 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 in the state in order for that state to be recognized as having this Christian authority, because it's going to have some other authority if it's not Christian, and it will be that other thing, whatever it is, that other secular worldview or other religious worldview, which will be appealed to if it's not Christian. Now, we've always taken for granted that there is a sort of Christian consensus. Well, that Christian consensus is disappearing and disappeared, and soon the appeal will be made that is no longer a Christian society, a Christian culture. And that will be the basis for people changing the law even further away from Christian standards. And that's why I think you need to retain the Christian, Christian state. So I think we need to, we need to pack up.